0: what tom petty taught me about songwriting and life an essay by matt ruby that's me <laughs> to really get tom petty you had to see him live you had to be wedged in between teenagers and old fogies smell the joint a few rows back and feel an irresistible urge to just stand up and sing along The first time I saw him back in the 90s, even The Losers is the song that really hooked me. When thousands of us sang it together, it mutated from a breakup song into a rallying cry. That's the thing about being a loser. When you join together with thousands of other losers, you don't feel like one anymore. You start to realize feeling like a loser is just something everyone goes through at some point. And that makes you feel a little more human. The kind of secret thing about Tom Petty is he wrote gospel songs. He wrote from the point of view of the losers, the fuck-ups, the rebels, the misfits, the dropouts, and the ones who only get a glimpse but he understood that most of us live for that glimpse, that occasional peek at the place where redemption lies. I kept seeing Tom Petty every few years after that first show I saw. The last time was just a few weeks before he died. Each time it felt like I was kind of checking in with an elder. I never really did this with any other musician in my life. I tended to grow out of bands I loved, especially the ones doing the whole cling-to-fated-youth thing. Sometimes it's nice when aging rockers just go away. But Petty never seemed to age. There was something timeless about him. Even when he was young, he seemed like a crotchety old man. But then when he actually was an old man, he still twinkled with this mischief like he was a rebellious teen. And for a kind of weird-looking dude, Tom Petty sure did dominate the early days of MTV. He was Alice in Wonderlanding on Don't Come Around Here No More, giving off a Mad Max slot machine desert vibe and You Got Lucky, and Escalator strumming on Free Falling. And back then, I was in high school and ridiculously skinny and working out all the time because I couldn't get above 120 pounds. So I bought this weightlifting set and put it in our basement. And uh, in between protein shakes, I'd go down to that dank dungeon in an attempt to kind of like bulk up, I guess. But really, I was just trying to look like a normal person. And I'd listen to cassette tapes on a boombox over and over while doing my reps. And the tape I played the most was Full Moon Fever. Then I went to college and Petty dropped off my radar for a while. He didn't seem as cool and underground as the Velvet Underground or Spiritualized or the indie stuff I was getting into then. But a few years later, I was visiting a girlfriend. She had moved to Texas from Chicago, where we originally met, and we were trying to keep it going long distance. Our deal was to see each other once a month, so every other month I'd travel to Fort Worth, Texas to visit her. And She grew up in an Indiana town, just like the opening line of Mary Jane's Last Dance, and she was a good girl who loved her mama, just like the start of Free Fallin'. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves
1: Jesus, in America too. She's a good girl, is crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too.
0: Man, look at the picture he paints there. The economy of words is astounding. Seems like he's barely said anything, and yet you already know everything about this girl. That was his gift. He seemed like some simple, blue-collar everyman, and he hid the layers and didn't need you to think he was smart. He used simple language to convey eternal themes. I once heard him explain why he didn't give many interviews by saying, I don't speak unless I have something to say. And that attitude, it shows in his lyrics. Anyway, that girlfriend and I would venture out once in a while to do Texas stuff. You know, we'd go to a rodeo, eat steak at a restaurant where you had to check your gun, dance at a honky-tonk, and visit the Texas School Book Depository. But mostly, we'd just lounge around her apartment and listen to music. Her collection was a lot of Lilith Fair, Sarah McLaughlin type stuff, and I was a rocker, so it was tough to find middle ground. But that's where the Heartbreakers came in. Tom Petty was everyone's middle ground. So we played the band's double-disc anthology over and over again, and we'd laugh and eat and screw. And eventually we broke up because, well, I wasn't ready for more and her clock was ticking. I was the bad boy standing in the shadows. She was the good girl, home with a broken heart. Just like a Tom Petty song. Meanwhile, I was still living in Chicago and playing guitar and singing in a band called Plastics Hi-Fi. We put out a few albums and toured around the Midwest. I remember our drummer, Rich, coercing me into seeing Petty live. I didn't even know if it'd be worth it, but I went ahead and we went to this amphitheater outside Chicago and Petty hit the stage and right after even the losers came, you got lucky. And I'd heard that song plenty of times, but it wasn't until that night I really listened to it. breakup song and the narrator is pining yet it's not sad he's telling her to go that she got lucky by even being with him at all he's broken and rebellious at the same time and that was the petty point of view bend but never break in concert you realize how good subtle and classy his band was too just like every Mick needs a Keith or Axel needs a slash, Petty had his in Mike Campbell. So many simple yet unforgettable intro riffs. American Girl. Listen to her heart. Breakdown. And he played these gorgeous, melodic solos, too. Listen to the blistering outro on Running Down a Dream. Or the slide solo on I Won't Back Down. Had a George Harrison esque way of playing just a few notes, but always the right ones. And Ben Montensh's keyboards always melted in perfectly, too. Check the piano flourishes on the choruses of Here Comes My Girl.
1: Comes my girl. Comes my
0: girl. Or the Hammond organ that launches refugees. the synth intro to You Got Lucky. Must have been nice to be Tom Petty. It was like he had two of the best session players in the world as his sidemen. That concert, it was revelatory for me. The next day, I started learning how to play every Petty hit. Those songs seemed like a songwriting instruction manual. I wanted to take them apart and put them back together again, the way a, a kid who wants to learn electronics might disassemble and reassemble an old alarm clock. I marveled at how he needed just a few brushstrokes to paint a vivid picture.
1: She wore faded jeans and soft black leather She had eyes so blue they looked like weather When she needed me, I wasn't around, that's the way it goes, it'll all work out.
0: And there was real poetry to his internal rhyme schemes too. How the hell did he get away with rhyming Tickets, Thicket, Wicked, and Kick-It? It's amazing. There was a Halloween tradition in Chicago where bands would play a tribute set as one of their favorite bands. One year, our group decided to play as Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I bought a hat like Tom Ward in that Alice in Wonderland video, and we set out to learn a bunch of Heartbreaker tracks. And when we played them, man, the crowd loved it. It was a wake-up call. I mean, our band wrote decent songs, but this felt like a reveal on what it feels like to play songs that are truly great, where every note and every word is just in the right place. They flowed as if they'd been handed down from the mountaintop. That's when I also started to pay more attention to the backbone of the Heartbreakers, that driving rhythm section. See, petty songs use drums like a piston. They don't stray from the beat and there aren't lots of fancy fills or rhythmic shifts. There's a reason Cameron Crowe has Jerry Maguire sing along to Tom Petty while driving. It's because cars are where you're supposed to listen to Tom Petty. It's all over his lyrics, too. We hear the cars roll by out on 441, and there's a freeway running through the yard, and there's something good waiting down this road. It's always about roads and driving. The same week we did our Heartbreakers tribute set, I met a new gal while out on the town in Chicago. She was next to the bar at this weird place, sort of dancing, but more swaying, with her arms outstretched over her head and a big grin on her face. And that's why I wanted to talk to her. She was mostly blowing me off until I happened to mention the Tom Petty thing. And whoa, she loved Tom Petty too. So that's how it began. A year later, we moved in together. And she was also a small-town girl, Rhode Island this time, trying to find her way in the big city, just like a character in a Tom Petty song. Eventually, she and I broke up too, you know, verse, chorus, verse. That's how it goes. After that, my band broke up as well. I eventually did some solo shows in acoustic singer-songwriter mode. And at the first one, I did covers of Tom Petty's It's Good to Be King and Leonard Cohen's I'm Your Man. And yeah, a few years later, I'd lose those two back to back, which was a tough blow for me because in many ways, they'd been the points on the horizon that I was trying to sail toward. Fast forward from there to July 2017, I'm at Forest Hill Stadium for Petty's 40th anniversary tour. No girl this time. I'm just with my buddies, Steve and Yuvin. They're both music heads who would actually never seen Petty live. So we got stoned, climbed into our seats and watched the band play their hits as the sun set on a Queen's night. You even commented on how the show felt like a jukebox and how you don't realize how much Tom Petty has accompanied your life. It's almost like his songs are American Christmas carols. That Petty Show, like every other one, ended back at the beginning with his first hit, American Girl. It's a song about America that was recorded on the day of the bicentennial, July 4th, 1976. Cosmic, eh? It begins with that chiming riff, the strokes ripped off. And the whole song keeps climbing from there with oh yeahs" and all rights that are practically embedded in our collective unconscious now. Oh, yeah. all right. take it easy, baby. Even the backing vocals feel like honey drizzled on an already delicious dessert. And listen to that opening verse about a girl raised on promises.
1: When she was a-
0: Petty wrote so well about women inhabiting the point of view of or describing female characters in a way that most male songwriters can't or won't the second verse of American Girl is the one that really kills me though
1: well, it was kinda
0: even performed it once as a monologue in an acting class. I just feel like I'm right there on that balcony with this girl every time I hear it. It was kind of cold that night. She stood alone on her balcony. She could hear the cars roll by out on 441 like waves crashing on the beach. And for one desperate moment there, he crept back in her memory. God is so painful, something that's so close and still so far out of reach. Man, it still kills me, that moment of desperation, the isolation of being on a balcony, that feeling when you tell yourself not to think about the one who got away, but you just can't help it. Because we all have that ex who creeps back into our minds, and it feels like they're right there with us, but it's just a mirage. It's so painful when something that's so close is still so far out of reach. And then Wait a minute, is he talking about a lover, or is he talking about the whole damn American dream? so close and still so far out of reach. And that's the thing about Tom Petty. He understood America in this depthful way. He could reach hipsters and hicks, north and south, coastal elites and NASCAR rednecks. We all got it. I mean, I'm a Jew from New York, but he could write a song about southern accents that still managed to choke me up. It's not one of his most popular tracks, but I'd argue it's one of his best.
1: There's a sun i hey.
0: I once saw this bathroom graffiti in Magic Marker at this cheap hostel I was staying at in Switzerland. It said, An academic takes simple ideas and makes them complicated. An artist takes complicated ideas and makes them simple. I always thought Tom Petty was a master of that kind of reduction. If you want the Tom Petty thesis statement, my vote's for refugee. If Bruce Springsteen's eternal theme is escape and David Bowie's was isolation... I'd say Petty's was defiance, and Refugee sums that up perfectly. It's the opposite of a love letter. It's a kick in the ass. It's about how we all suffer and get kicked around, and then we face a choice. What you gonna do about it? Fight to be free. Don't revel in your abandon. This is the petty ethos. Yeah, you've been screwed over, but it's how you respond that matters. It's giving the finger to the man or whoever did you wrong. It's defying authority. It's that scene in True Romance where Dennis Hopper rants about Sicilians and spits in Christopher Walken's face. Petty was always in a fight, whether it was with his abusive dad, record companies who wanted to raise prices, Concert promoters who gouged fans, radio stations that wouldn't play the new stuff, women who had done them wrong, addiction, or God knows what else. But he stood his ground, and well, you know... fall apart and the world isn't fair that's life but still you have to put up a fight and when you do tom petty will have your back you'll have a song that nails that moment it gives you something to sing along with and for just one moment everything will be all right after he passed that gal i lived with in chicago the one who really liked tom petty when we met sent me an email In all honesty, I probably wouldn't have given you a second thought that fateful night if it wasn't for the fact your band was covering Tom Petty songs at your next show. It was a magical night, and Mr. Petty was the matchmaker. She ended the note by inviting me to come meet her two kids. I thought of a couple Petty lyrics. I'm glad she found what she was looking for. And also, it never goes away, but it all works out. Now let's bring in producer Jeremiah McVeigh to discuss what we just heard all about Tom Petty.
2: I remember in the mid nineties when I was in high school on PBS, there was this like multi-part documentary series about the history of rock and roll. And on one of the episodes they were talking about, I guess it was like maybe the comeback of rock after disco or something. And they were talking about how big Bruce Springsteen's shows were Um, just, they'd go for hours and everyone was like rabid fans at these shows in these arenas and Tom Petty was on talking about it. He was, he was opening for Bruce Springsteen at one of these shows, one of these huge shows. And he was saying how they were getting ready to go out there and all they could hear was boo and someone came up to him and said, they're not saying boo, they're saying Bruce. And he said, well, that's worse. (laughs) <laughs> and and I just the, like that just always stuck with me, and I loved that that uh, his telling of it.
0: Yeah, it's great. He was hilarious in interviews. He could be
2: really funny for sure. But I thought there was something to that that he's, I, I he's always been there, like or, or or he was always there until he passed right. away. Unfortunately, it sometimes didn't make any sense. Like the, it makes a certain amount of sense for him to be on a bill with Bruce Springsteen, um, but he he was there at like these big moments like that. But then he was also. I remember, and when I when I was like watching a lot of MTV in the early '90s, and grunge was a huge thing. It would be like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and then like Last Dance with Mary Jane. I was like, "What the hell is this song doing in here?" Like, yeah. it, you know. And but I still liked it. It was it was a cool song with a great video, and I was like, "Why do I like this when I'm into this other stuff?" It made no sense to me at the time, but I did.
0: I mean, I think it's the power of good songs. I mean, like he endured, you know, like American Girl came out like 1976 and he was still... You know, putting out good albums in the 2000s and like Wildflowers might be his masterpiece, you know, which was like late 90s, I believe. So, yeah, I think you've got, you know, someone like who clearly loves songs and like his life was about songwriting and like, you know, Mm -hmm. writing good, good ones for decades in a way that like, even like those other bands that you you were like, why is he on MTV with these other bands? Those guys in those bands probably respected Tom Petty. You know, he had Mm -hmm. that kind of clout even across genres and across time. Cause I think, you know, you, you, there was something like elemental and true and quality and good and what he was doing.
2: Right. Well, uh, okay. Here's something. Cause you mentioned Leonard Cohen in there too, as like being your other sort of guiding songwriter influence in your life and um, or artist even maybe not just songwriter, sure. but, yeah. but I, I think of them very differently, you know, like, Tom Petty has this sort of straightforwardness in a way and the simplicity that you described in the essay. And Leonard Cohen, I think of as whether rightfully or not, like more literary in a way in, in mm-hmm. his lyricism and being more of a poet first, where maybe Petty is more like a rock star first in a way, but they're both good writers. But like, what do you see that maybe for you um, connects them as these two things that you consider so important
0: that's a good question yeah i feel like to me they're both very spiritual artists but in different ways i think leonard cohen is also a solo artist for the most part and so he's he's putting a spotlight on the lyrics that he writes in a way that like the rest of the music and and accompaniment is meant to be in the background and it's really a spotlight on what he's doing which i think enables him to kind of be more you know sort of the way we conventionally think of like poetic and and literary and things like that. Whereas Tom Petty is really working within the confines of pop music and rock and roll and fronting a rock and roll band. And like uh, it almost forces one into a mode of economy and simplicity. And I think, What I love about Tom Petty is what he's able to convey within that simplicity, that first verse of Free Falling where he's describing the girl and like it just in four lines. It's like an artist where like with four brushstrokes, all of a sudden you see this completely fleshed out imagery. You know, there's almost like a a Zen simplicity to it or or almost like Eastern minimalism to minimal means, maximum impact, I guess, for for Tom Petty. Whereas, like, I think with Leonard Cohen, it's much more flowery and elaborate and it's beautiful and gorgeous, you know, whereas with Tom Petty, sometimes the most impressive thing is just how little there is, how simple it is, you know, how it's operating on this very base level. It's also very accessible. Like, you know, I think there's a reason, you know, like plenty of like Hicks and, and Rednecks and, you know, like high school dropouts as well as like literary people can get into Tom Petty's because it's not... Uh, there's no ribbons and bows. It's not like uh, sort of uh, gussied up. It's just, it is what it is. And it's simple and direct and something that everyone can relate to. And so I think, yeah, I guess maybe one might be like French laundry or or something. And the other might be, I, I mean, I don't want to compare Tom Petty to the McRib or something, but like uh, a Shake Shack burger or something, that, or, or something that everyone can get, everyone can understand, everyone can access. And you know what? It's also really, really good. And sometimes that is is almost more impressive than making your boutique, you know, you know, three-star Michelin like incredible gourmet meal that only a few people are going to really be able to consume.
2: Okay. So as someone who has such a deep admiration for Petty and his skill and his image and everything, and you've listened to a ton of his music probably over and over again, right? What what is one track that you usually skip when it comes on that? um
0: he's got like this honeybee track that like now i can't i can't get into because
2: well let me let me think
0: of it i have a better answer i think i guess it's probably free falling like i just because i'm so saturated on it after it's been in like so many you know movies and other stuff and yeah um it's almost like i mean i like neil diamond too but like sweet caroline i can't really take anymore it's almost like sometimes the the one song that gets pulled into the the cultural zeitgeist is almost so overplayed that it's uh you know becomes right. almost like a cliche. So that's probably one I don't really sit around and you know vibe to in, in a in a depthful way. And now for some quickies. It's a lot of attitude from owners of emotional support dogs. It's like they think their dogs are Ivy League and everyone else's is community college. American politics is a bunch of dudes who went to Harvard trying their best to pretend they didn't go to Harvard. Here's how I imagine the Russian state media is covering the war in Ukraine. No, no, no. They're not yelling boo. They're yelling poo Subscribe to or follow the show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I, I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at H-E-Y.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to The Rube's Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff, too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it.
2: This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.